0: You're tuning into Jazz 88, and I'm with Julian Lodge, a guitar player who's heading out on the road to support his second album for Blue Note Records. It's called View With The Room. He's got two shows happening over on Saturday, September 17th at the Dakota. Julian, thanks so much for taking some time to catch up with Jazz 88.
1: Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you've got this new album that's uh, out, and we've been playing the tune Tributary, and that's the, <laughs> the, the, the first tune on the record, and I, I really dig it. And this is the first time where your long-running trio has connected with an additional guitar player. So Bill Frizzell is on, I I think, about two-thirds of the album. And there's a beautiful conversation throughout that whole song and, frankly, throughout the whole record between you and Bill. And it's a lot less kind of someone solos, someone's done soloing, somebody else solos. It's a lot less linear. Can you tell me about how you created that sort of intimate back and forth that we hear throughout this record and particularly on the tune Tributary?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words about it. I, I'm I'm so excited to share this music, you know, and uh, essentially at the core, you know, this trio with Jorge Roder on bass, Dave King on drums, who you know well, uh, these are like, you know, my dearest musical collaborators and personal collaborators. And we've had the great fortune of just playing a lot of music together um, over the last several years. And Pretty organically, the question came up, what would it look like to expand the ensemble? And we thought of so many variations, but at the end of the day, it felt like we wanted to find someone, regardless of the instrument, who was sympathetic to what we share as a chamber ensemble, and but also uh, kind of just expanded the palette of the band and the recording and what's possible, especially with regard to accompaniment and textural support um, you know what I mean, like, like, so, and so the, we we distilled it to those qualities. It took us all of about two seconds to go, "Well, Bill Frizzell. That's like, that is literally, you know, the um, kind of the the heart of the matter with Bill. He brings texture and space, um, expansiveness and intimacy uh, to all the music he plays, both as a leader and as a collaborator. So. Zooming out, you know, over the last several years, I've, I've been so lucky to play a lot with Bill. Um, mostly in, in duo settings, but also a lot of John Zorn led projects, uh, Charles Lloyd's band. Uh, so, you know, here's my hero, this icon um, who uh, I just adore. And I kind of somewhat sheepishly approached him about the whole thing. And I said, you know, Bill, I got this idea. He knows the trio well, I want this bigger sound and but you know, it's not gonna be like us sparring like we do as a duo. And um of course, you know, Bill being Bill and his just, just just his wonderfully empathetic self said, Oh man, of course. I don't it's not about us soloing the same amount. Like I wanna be like the rhythm guitar player, you know, I wanna bring this music to life that way. So in a nutshell, that's that's the ethos of the record and that's exactly what he did and then and I'm just so thrilled it worked out.
0: Well, work out it did. It's it's a beautiful combination. It's frankly to me not a surprise that y'all sound good together, given the way that you you <laughs> both sound on your own. But I will say, um, I'm I'm a fan of jazz guitar. But I always kind of thought of Bill Frizzell as a starting point. And in the in the media materials mm. for your album, you talked about how you connect what you're aiming for on this album with some real early jazz guitar players talking like charlie christian um and and i'm trying to understand yeah. you know and and uh, this is how i happen to not know a ton about jazz guitar so mm-hmm. i don't have to pretend like i'm i'm, I'm, I'm dumbing it down <laughs> for the audience my man i'm dumbing it down for me i always think of like oh there's been single note solos and chords yeah. And then there's Bill Frizzell and there's these ringing notes across yeah. things. And there's this like intervals as opposed, it's not quite a chord. It's not quite a solo. Um, you connect it. Obviously you're, you're a really well-studied jazz guitar player. Can you help me connect the sounds on this record? And, and frankly, just the sounds of Bill Frizzell with earlier generations yeah. of jazz guitar players.
1: Oh my God. Well, first of all, that is the hippest inquiry, uh, <laughs> or line of questioning because, uh, I, I, I You know, frankly, I don't think it's as common knowledge as uh, it might be about the history of the guitar as it is with other instruments in jazz. A a detail of the the lineage that I think is so exciting. I mean, basically, in a nutshell, the guitar and jazz came from banjo in jazz. We're talking. Louis Armstrong's group and banjo is four string banjo, not like the five string in bluegrass, but four string. It was, it was percussive and rhythmic, you know, and that was the job of it. Um, As you get into the later twenties, earlier thirties, you have players like Nick Lucas, Eddie Lang, George Barnes, suit like the, he's like the first recorded electric guitar player, even predating Charlie Christian. These were cats who were, were kind of growing up with the sound of the banjo and watching the transition from banjo to guitar, but also seeing the transition from a lot of vaudeville music um, into this new form of music that was forming. So what you get is really risk, like a lot of risk-taking kind of guitar players. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. These are players who are using single notes. They're using ringing sounds. They're using chords. They're using open strings, which uh, idiomatically speaking is kind of uh, on the guitar usually reserved for country music or folk music or bluegrass music uh in other words all bets are off the guitar is like a new novelty it's the newest thing in town now as you get towards the especially by the time you're in the 40s and 50s uh the guitar is more or less emulating a saxophone or a trumpet you're getting single lines you're getting chords so it's emulating a piano and uh in a very broad strokes kind of way, the guitar got a little more conservative in terms of its role. It got more accepted, but also a little more streamlined, you know. So when we talk about Bill, I think he's the connect. the correlation between the early history of the guitar is that he's someone who doesn't have any of that narrowness. Um, if the guitar can do it, it's an option. You know what I mean? From effects to chordal conception to, like you say, this kind of form of improvising that's part chords, part soloing, part just the melody of the song um and with that comes a whole sonic palette that the early guitar players in jazz had which is basically like a very blunt electric um kind of volatile sound it's not terribly smooth um it's kind of like it almost has more in common with Scotty Moore playing with Elvis Presley mm. you know um so that's just a bit of the lay of the land as far as how he and I connected about the early traditional guitar and also when I you know when I talked to him about that of course he was like i know exactly what you're talking about um, the conception of jazz guitar and even electric guitar and jazz music even in the 80s with some of these iconic records with uh frizzell and Nathini uh, uh or frizzell and schofield on bass desires with very different palette far more affected um but incredible so you know bill is part of that lineage and i admire it and i kind of wanted to uh, encourage it on this record
0: well, encourage that You did, and that—that that is exactly the education I was looking for. Because I think I was kind of only going <laughs> back to the 1950s and sort of going, "Oh, like wh- wh- where's right. the?" So I maybe wasn't going back far enough, and that's—that's yeah. that's inspiring to know that uh, y'all are, and are bringing that into the conversation. Now, um, I, oh
1: yeah. I, um,
0: Often, I'm, I'm, it seems a lot more familiar to hear two guitar players playing together without a rhythm section, sort of a, oh, we're going to do a duo album type of mm-hmm. thing. And, and this is very different. Um, yeah. Did you have inspirations of the two guitars in a combo to sort of some blueprints to start mm-hmm.
1: from, from previous records you've studied or listened to, et cetera? Great question yeah because there that is a that's that's a genre you know two guitars bass and drums i've been so fortunate to be in a band with nels klein which is structured that way the nels Mm -hmm. klein four two guitars bass and drums uh bass desires which was led by mark uh copeland uh that was uh if i'm not mistaken mark copeland was it Erskine and uh schofield and frizzell that was a blueprint um uh, as was another Mark Copeland record with Joey Barron, Matheny, and Frizzell. And you all to say that there, 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 there is a precedent. Um, typically, the style of sparring is kind of like you inferred earlier. You solo, I solo, we play the melody out. You know, some version of that. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and it's incredible. And it's one of the cool... And with the, what a rhythm, rhythm section allows is kind of a, you know, a zone where you know the, the everything the, there's an anchor right so uh the guitarists can kind of go off and do their thing and trust that there will be this driving beat and you know or whatever else the priorities are of that band uh in the case of this i think the power structure is a little more weighted towards the trio um in other words the 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 melodic disciplines of the music the Improv, the soloing is really a feature of me, Jorge, and Dave a lot of times. And then and Bill is always an equal member because he's a force of nature, but it is subliminal in a lot of these tracks mm-hmm. where it's um, he's, he's uh, we're not sharing an equal power structure. It's a little more like a singer. I'm the singer, and he's the heart of the harmonic and textural experience. And to kind of focus on what you were asking earlier about that song, Tributary, that's a good example of uh, a song where Bill's contributions are immense, they're in your face, and yet I'm the only one soloing and playing the melody. Um, So it's a bit of sleight of hand, you know, and I I do think that's a a continuation of the lineage. It's nothing novel by any stretch of imagination, but it is newer for me.
0: The the thing I kept on thinking about when I was listening to this album had very little to do actually with music, but had a lot to do with my education in radio. An early supervisor of mine mm. kind of pointed out, like, I, you know, I got done with a shift and he said, man, wouldn't it be weird if there was somebody in life you talked to and they always talked for 20 seconds? Wouldn't, wouldn't you expect that person <laughs> to to sometimes talk for five seconds and to sometimes talk for a minute and a half? And if you have a conversation, wouldn't you expect for there to be some oblong uh, moments that felt a little long and then a couple that are just like, hey, how you doing? And, and it it it, it wow. completely changed yeah. how I do radio because I suddenly, right. were like, you know, so many of us are just like, oh, every time you talk, you talk for 20 seconds. Say the last two songs, say the weather, say something cool right. about the next tune and get back into it. And then you're like, oh, that's a very odd. And so it's very odd, the idea of like, I remember. I think it's Jack D. Jeanette was like, I hate train fours, but I love train four and a halfs. I love trading, you know, nines. Like, like if I need a little, <laughs> if I need a little more than the sheet music shows me, I'm gonna take it, and then you can cover me for it. And and I hear that throughout that record, this sort of um, g- generosity, right. and then at other times, selfishness. Like, I'm gonna go a little bit longer. I'm gonna let, and, and it's just, yeah. That's I thought more about that kind of you know, conversational interplay.
1: You nailed it yeah you nailed it because like even that's so cool how you express that because um at the heart of that to me is 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 drama you know we're looking for a narrative that's dramatic in some way something that's seductive to the ear uh creates expectation then kind of defies it right like doesn't give the listener what they think is going to happen and then other times wholeheartedly gives the ear what it craves um, and I think proportion is the name of the game. It's ratios. It's this much of this to that much of that. Um, and, and I think there's, a, there's culturally speaking, there's a notion about listening sympathetically that can be really democratic. And I think it can be awesome, but it also can be uninteresting. You know, sometimes we talk about it as like you've got to, you know, ignoring is half of listening. You know, part of it is now's the time to just kind of declare right it's not open for it, it's not open for discussion this is uh, bam here to, and you hear that in a lot of our heroes like sonny rollins for example or certain bill evans things or quote there's moments where it's like no you actually 100 percent are in control right um doesn't mean you're not listening but for the drama for the sake of the music we need you to go there and then other times it switches so um i think you're speaking to something that i just find fascinating in the musical realm and um you're right it applies to absolutely everything
0: well, it's it's it makes for really great music on this new album, View With The Room. I'm chatting with Julian Lodge. She's coming through town playing on Saturday, September 17th. Um, and Julian, I doubt that you are a stranger to the Twin Cities, considering that uh, your drummer is Dave King on a lot of your recordings. Um, yes. And, and, and so are there things, uh, A, I'd love to know about your relationship with Dave King, and I'd love to know about any impressions you have about uh, the Twin Cities and the music scene here.
1: Oh well yeah that I love it i mean i've been I've been coming to the Twin Cities since I was uh young uh playing largely at the Dakota with Gary Burton's group. This is when I first started touring kind of- you know professionally and really consistently and yeah I mean just the underpinnings of the city is it is are the underpinnings of like so much art that I love and so much culture that I love and just frankly a sense of community that um that really organizes around the arts, yeah. you know, and, and, um, ad, adventurous, adventurous artists, you know? So, um, that was just my experience as someone passing through just with full humility, just like, wow, I love it every time we play here. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, as I started going into so many of my heroes, uh, you know, Craig Taborn being another one who's, you know, um, from the community, um, my wife, Margaret Glass, has made you know recordings and worked a lot with Chris Morrissey, who's also deeply you know part of the community. Uh, all these things kind of were just in my orbit, and then it all zeroed in on Dave King because I was like kind of just a super fan of his forever. Uh, and then had the pleasure of meeting him briefly in Australia, and we met in a breakfast room as we were both kind of going our separate ways. And it was just this was you know eight years ago. I said. I got to play with you. And he said, I got to play with you. So we kept in touch. And then as I was formulating some new projects to debut at The Stone, which is John Zorn's club in New York, um, I thought of Dave immediately. I, and we did two nights together. One was with uh, another band. One was with Jorge Roeder. And I just felt like this is my partner. This is yeah. He stands for everything that I love about art. And music and community and this notion that the music we play is not um, purely academic, though it's informed by our historical understanding. It's really about um, people. It's about relationships. And the whole experience I've had of being in the Twin Cities and the friends I've known both musically and otherwise all kind of flooded back. You know what I mean? Yeah. i kind of like, oh, of course, this is the thing, you know? And, and uh, so uh, needless to say, it was kind of this love at first sight and then as we've been playing together and as I've come to, you know, uh, come through the Twin Cities and played and made more friends, I just kind of – I just feel lucky, you know. I feel lucky that I can come in and have a, what I consider an intimate connection with the city through one of my best friends, you know, Dave King. So it's – you know, it's just kind of it's just one of those things I just like I say, it's a lot of humility on my part and I just go, Thank God I get to come here and there's a connection beyond my love for it. You know, that would be enough. But Dave definitely deepens that by the landslide. And like you we were talking you know, we spoke about at another point in time, my wife Margaret Glassby, who's such a master and monster musician, has a, at this point a long history of playing in the Twin Cities right. and um and just having a connection with fans there. So yeah, it's it's we were thinking about moving there at one point. Ah. It was a high on the list, and then uh, work took us basically to New York for something, and that that sealed the deal. But um, yeah, it's really important to us.
0: Well, we'll keep a couple of cots ready in case you guys change your mind yeah. and, and decide to <laughs> please, make it. Go. Please
1: do, please do. Well, like, what, uh, it's it's the
0: best. What was hilarious is that uh, for some reason, through you know, electing to not learn as much as I should have, I listened to your record after I knew Margaret produced it, but before I knew that Bill Frizel ah. played on it and I'm listening and I'm going, okay, well, Margaret doesn't, one thing I love about your wife's records is that, like, when she takes a guitar solo, there's usually not a rhythm guitar waiting for her. Like, generally, it's a very live-sounding yeah. thing. And I just think, I think that's a tribute to her skills. I also think it's a tribute to the people who play with her. Where she goes, no, nah, like, the bass player can handle it. Like, when I when I go off, it's going to be cool. And yeah, right, and course. so suddenly yeah. I'm going, yeah. okay. So her husband, uh, you know, jazz musician is is double tracking and supporting himself and doing all this stuff. Okay, cool. Like, and, and then I was <laughs> like, this sounds a yeah. lot like Bill Frisell. <laughs> <laughs> scroll okay got it okay it's, it's not two julians It's julia and, it. and it's just uh no
1: no it's one of one
0: yeah uh now uh, i basically got one more question for you which is please y- you you make youtube videos playing with your trio uh pretty frequently and they're mm-hmm. they're joyous i see a lot of um not just like sort of eye contact of like here comes the next part, but sort of like truly engaged eye contact between y'all. Um, but also just like I mean, I think there's a reason you get a lot of views on those things that are independent of your the the quality of your music, which is that the videos are really enjoyable to watch and to see how you guys uh, respond visually. Right. This is something that you know jazz musicians really didn't navigate. Maybe 25 years ago, you might have a couple live concerts that you got on VHS, but it's it's a very different world. How have you figured out how to visually present yourself and your trio when it's such an important part of not not only marketing but also just kind of communicating your art?
1: Well, you nailed it. It's about communicating the art, and, and this is an improvising ensemble that is highly uh, dependent on body language and you know uh, expression and movement and choreography. You know, and I, I'm not talking gratuitous. Uh, choreography, but but like like any play or ballet, you know, you have, there's a cast of characters that are interfacing with another, and the result, in our case, is music. So um, I think it's sincere, especially since we're, you know, the videos are obviously live takes, and they're different than the record. So they're, um, you're almost getting to witness the making of a different version, you know, a variation on the record. Um, and even that notion of saying there's going to be two versions out there, a studio and uh, a live one at the same time, I think just paints the picture of what we're really up to as jazz musicians. Um, it's funny cause it's true. There was a, there's, there's been seminal figures in jazz who, um, would release videos, DVDs, films of concerts over the years. And, uh, but back probably in the 60s later 50s into 60s i think there was there was an era of really cool footage i mean one of the great shows of all time was ralph gleason's jazz casual which was filmed in san francisco and you know coltrane's quartet art farmers group count basie dizzy i mean everybody and i mean those are the master masters and there's the something that was so cool about those those videos is that they're incredibly modest in a lot of ways you know there's a I think there's usually some movement with the camera, but they're not, they're kind of austere. Like, watch, yeah. just watch for the musicians doing their thing. It's so cool. Now, for posterity reasons, it's like, that's like going back to school when you watch those. Ours is, um, I think, just to kind of have a nod to that tradition, that there have been great films of jazz musicians. Um, and I think it, it conveys the message in just a more sincere way when partnered with the record, you can have either, you can have both and you can have neither. Um, but we've been fortunate to have partners who are amazing. Alex Chowoff is the director and the one who makes all of our films, our videos. And, you know, he's kind of part of our group. And uh, it's fun to have that side of it. And there is a precedent. And um, it's it, it's getting more prevalent all the time. I see that with so many of our calls.
0: Well, we'll take both, but don't make me choose between. Yes, don't make me choose between watching you (laughs) and watching Elvin Jones and his body steaming during that Ralph Gleason thing, where it's just like you can literally see steam emanating from his bun down shirt, and you're just like, oh my god, this is like (laughs) the most breathtaking performances I've ever seen.
1: You know what I'm saying? Shit. Oh, no. You can't deny that flannel shirt he's wearing. That whole vibe. It's so good. So you get it. I know you get it.
0: <laughs> Julian, I really appreciate you taking time to chat with Jazz88. Looking forward to catching you Saturday, September 17th, taking the stage of the Dakota. I appreciate you. Congratulations on the new record. And uh, we really love playing the tune. We're going to play the tune Tributary right now. And I hope you have a spectacular rest of your day.
1: Thanks, brother. You too.